the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's the Wednesday edition of the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And as you know, this is a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, uh, whatever's on your heart. All you need to do is provide the phone call, uh, 340-9585. That's 210 210- Three four zero ninety five eighty five. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Numerically, it's six three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. Remember, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, got a couple of things going on, and we'll get right to questions. First, tonight I'm going to be teaching 1 Kings chapter 11, sort of the downfall of Solomon. It's really, really not a fun chapter to teach, but it's pretty important. I've been saying to the Wednesday night crew uh, for several weeks, when God warns you about something, it's because you need to be warned about it. And Solomon didn't listen. And unfortunately, too many of us uh, in these last days don't listen either. But that's tonight here at Calvary Chapel. Tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio with me on the date day edition of the show. And I think Paula is lining up some of the ladies from the women's retreat to be here uh, with her tomorrow. That was the last thing we talked about, but I've only seen her for a minute today. So uh, we'll see when she gets here tomorrow. Okay, let me go to some questions. Um, I, I left off with an anonymous question wanting me to share my testimony. Anonymous, if you don't mind, I'm going to hold that. And uh, maybe Paul and I will share it together on a, on a program where we're alone or something, but, but just see what it is. It would take so long, and uh, I'm... I'm sure not everybody's as interested in it as you are, but you can go to calvaryessay.com and get your um, uh, hook there and and, uh, you'll be connected to, to the testimony there. Here is a question that is from Matt from our email inbox. Hi, Pastor Ron. What's the best way to describe the Trinity to an unbeliever? I've had friends ask me, who is your God? Why are there three different gods that you talk about? How is Jesus God when he talked about the Father being God while on earth? Uh, it can be hard to try to explain it to people if they don't if they didn't grow up in church. Um, Matt, you were talking about an unbeliever, and, and we just assume an unbeliever didn't grow up in church. But I don't think what we have to do is really explain it. I think we Christians get uh, uh, sidetracked a little bit by explaining things instead of just declaring them. Uh, The Bible says there is one God, and we know there is only one God. Christianity is monotheistic. There's one God. But that God is uh, revealed to us in three persons. Now, why do we say that? Well, because the Bible calls the Father God. Repeatedly, the Bible says that Jesus is God. He said it himself repeatedly. But the Holy Spirit is also called God. 
So one God, they're not three gods, they're not different gods, they're just three different personalities of the Godhead. So when you have the totality of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the triune God, what you've got is one God reaching out, manifest in three personalities. And all of those personalities are called God, and they they have all of the attributes of God, uh, and that comes from cover to cover. Now, somebody says, well, how is one plus one plus one uh, one, it's not. One plus one plus one is three. But but I've often on this program, Matt, said, why don't we t- use another form of math? What is one times one times one? And the answer to that question is one. So I think we just need to look at it a little bit differently. And when somebody who is an unbeliever especially says, well, I just don't believe. How how could there be, be uh, three gods in one? How could the Father be God and Jesus be God and the Holy Spirit be God? Just, just say, look, this is what the Bible says. And then be honest with them and say, what's really your problem with Jesus? Is it sin? What What's going on in your life that you don't want to do? And I think sometimes we Christians, we feel like we have to have a perfect answer that will describe things. And that's how we get, well, you know, there's an egg and there's a shell and there's a, a, a yolk and there's a white of the egg. And so that's one egg, but three parts. That that We can't make examples like that. I'll tell you what's hard to understand, how Jesus can be 100% man and 100% God. How do you do that? That's a hypostatic union. How how, how does that happen? Well, it happens because he's God and he invaded time and space. So for me, Matt, and I'm just going to give you this quickly, and this will be the the only way to explain it. Uh, The Father, we're told, lives in unapproachable light, and no one can approach the Father. Well, it, because it's the Father's desire that we approach him, he made a way. Jesus allowed us to approach that unapproachable light. And Jesus' ministry here on earth was designed to reveal the person of the Father, his character, his nature, his absolute holiness, and his power. So the Father that we couldn't see sent his Son, who we could see, to reveal the character of the Father. Now, here's the other problem. Jesus was not going to stay here. Jesus was crucified. He rose from the dead, proving that everything he said about him being God is true. But then he went back to his Father. So he told his disciples, and this is what I'll tell you, Matt, uh, don't let your hearts be troubled by this. It's good for you that I go away, because if I go away, I will send another, the Holy Spirit, and he will be in you, and he will testify of me. So, Matt, all we have to do is just, this is what the Father does, this is what the Son does, this is what the Holy Spirit does, but it's not three gods, it's one God with three different missions or ministries or personalities. And anybody who says, as a brand new believer, they understand that, um, is kidding themselves, but we do have to accept it because that's the way God has revealed to us in our Bibles. So, Matt, thank you for the question. I hope that helps. Here is a question, a question from Fred. He wants, or I'm sorry, from Frida. Uh, I woke up, my eye was all swollen yesterday and, and is a bit, I'm a little bit of trouble seeing my, my screen here. Uh, Frida says, do we have guardian angels? Um, Frida, some people say we do, some say that we don't, uh, but I don't know. Now, let me speak out of the other side of my mouth real quickly. I think we have angels who guard us, but I don't think they're guardian angels. This is my opinion. I don't think they're guardian angels in the commonly accepted sense. Like there's one angel um, who who is assigned to me or one angel, Frida, who's assigned to you. I don't think that's a thing. I think their eyes never move from Jesus, and they come to minister to those of us who inherit salvation uh, at the request of Jesus. Jesus is always watching us. He's got us. I think when he sends them uh, on their way to help, they intervene in an instant. And I've said this, Frida, several times on the program. I think we've all been helped by or even saved by angels more than we could possibly understand or more than we are aware of. But but are they guardian angels like Clarence in It's a Wonderful Life? I don't, I don't think that's the case at all. 
Uh, so again, angels look to God. Jesus is the one who cares for us. And uh, the angels do what he tells them to do. And uh, again, there's happily for the angel, there's not an angel who woke up one day and drew the short straw and he's in charge of me. Jesus is the one who's in charge. And I think, Frida, sometimes we get a little bit of a wrong idea about angels to where they get the credit for uh, for for rescuing us from certain situations. Uh, I've shared on this program before, Frida, that, that uh, I, I can tell you on two separate occasions, beyond any doubt at all, where where there was uh, angelic intervention uh, in my life, um, and and I suspect that there were more than that um, um, when when strange things happened, but I can say for certain that on two occasions uh, there's absolutely no other explanation, and one of those occasions saved my life, and another of those occasions saved somebody else's life that we were with in Scotland, and we watched it happen. So, um, yeah, it's... uh, um, That's about all I've got. Here is a question from Paulette. She says, can I have your opinion, please? She says, can I have your opinion, please, burial or cremation? Um, Paulette, it really doesn't matter to me. I don't think it should matter to any of us. Um, Both are fine. Um, What happens with these old tents, these old bodies, uh, once our spirit has been taken in the presence of the Lord, doesn't matter at all. I can tell you, Paulette, that Paula and I have both opted for cremation. I think it is obscene to pay the amount of money that they want for a burial. Uh, I think uh, so much of our tradition around death is so superstitious, and it just doesn't make any sense. I can promise you that once Jesus sends the angel to take our our spirit, the real us, out of these bodies to be with him, it won't matter at all whether or not we're buried or cremated or thrown into the sea or, or it just doesn't matter. So, uh, I, I frankly, Paul, it's, it's strictly a matter of your preference. Um, but the Bible doesn't have a primary means of death at all or disposal of the body uh, at all. Um, you know, most because it was a Jewish culture, most were buried in family tombs. Um, But that certainly wasn't anything that cost them a fortune in the the kind of way that we do it. Uh, We we just had somebody that we lost um, not too long ago here at Calvary Chapel. And the amount of money that they wanted was just obscene. It was just obscene, um, you know, for for an old, worn-out, tired body. So uh, Paul and I were not at all superstitious uh, about that, and so we we just want to do it the the most inexpensive way, and I won't care at all. So hope that helps you, but you can do whatever you want to do. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Jameson. Um, how should I respond when hanging out with friends, some who are Christians, who cuss a lot? Um, Jameson, I would, I would, if they're friends, you can talk to them and just say, as a favor for me, will you be kind enough, um, not to use bad language? I just, I, I, I want to hang out with Jesus when I'm with you guys and I don't want people to, um, to use bad language so that Jesus has to leave because if he leaves then I gotta leave. So just ask him if they're friends, you shouldn't have to worry about it, nor should you ever apologize for it. It's amazing the pressure that we feel to use foul language instead of just expecting that people are going to talk like they're adults, like they have some level of intellect, uh, and cursing simply isn't necessary. Remember, Jameson, you get to be a light with your friends. Now, those that you said are Christians, some of them are. Uh, I think as a believer, you have a completely different conversation with them. How can you guys who say you belong to Christ, how can you talk about him this way when the Bible says that that there should be no coarse talk coming from our lips? That our talk, our speech needs to be edifying 
and encourage source of encouragement for others. And and you know you'll probably get the contemporary oh it's just words we don't mean anything by it, but it does. And so ask them out of just not being rude, being kind to me, your friend. Would you please not use that kind of language when you're around me? And you know you may get some holy roller jokes. You may get some oh you think you're so righteous uh, jokes. It's it's okay. You're tough enough to deal with it. But don't let those friends influence you. Tonight's Bible study here at the church, Jameson, is First uh, Kings chapter 11. And Solomon uh, lets his foreign wives influence him and lead him into the worship of false gods. Like the Holy Spirit goes out of the way to say the detestable gods and, and repeats himself over and over and over. And see, what happens if we who are believers don't stand for what's right, then rather than influence our friends, we end up being influenced by our friends, and it demonstrates really to whom our loyalty lies. So I think it's really important. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. In the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 19, uh, that's the bad fruit of the flesh, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit. Um, th- there's there's no listing in the good fruit of the Spirit for ugly language. So just say, you know what, as a favor to me, if you consider me a friend, well, why don't you not do it? And what a witness that will be, Jameson, for your friends, especially those who say they're Christians. But even your unbelieving friends will realize he's serious about his relationship with Jesus. They may not want to hang out with you anymore. You can deal with that. But God will be so pleased with you. And he will use your witness to draw others to you. Hope that helps, Jameson. Thank you. Let me see. My next question is from Mickey. I don't know if this is a male or a female Mickey. Um, I believe I've been called to remain single. How do I deal with sexual urges and needs? Um, Mickey, uh, I'd be interested if if this was a phone call, I could ask you, what, what makes you think, what were the circumstances that led you to believe that you're called to remain single? Uh, I think that needs to be discussed. I think it needs to be thought out. Um, a little more fully. Um, but if you have been called to remain single, then you also need to pray for the gift of celibacy. Paul said, I wish you all were as I am, and Paul was celibate. If God has called you to be celibate, uh, if he's called you to be single, um, then he will provide you the the strength to resist temptation and to resist the sexual urges that you have and your needs. Your need, Mickey, has got to be just to be with Jesus. That's what your need is. Your needs will not be satisfied by having sex or giving in to sexual urges. Your needs will only be fulfilled and satisfied by being with Jesus. And if he's called you to be single, uh, I, I don't um, envy you. It's not going to be an easy walk. Um, there's always going to be struggles. The enemy is going to attack relentlessly at times. And try to make sure that you are unsuccessful. The minute that you um, you give in to sexual urges, what's going to happen is the enemy is going to be right there to heap condemnation on you. So here's what you do. You say, Lord, I choose to honor you. And, and whether I've been called to be single forever, and I don't think this is something you have to know the answer to right now. Mickey, I don't think it's something you need to be sure about yet. But here's what you can be sure about. As long as I am single, I'm going to honor God with my body. I'm going to be faithful. Because as I get through this period of my life, regardless of how it turns out, I know the Lord will be pleased with me. And because I stood for him, he will stand with me and for me with others. But, but Mickey, no, no kidding. It's a tough, tough life. The enemy is going to be there. Uh, please don't put pressure on yourself to know for sure whether you're called to be single or not. Just know that while you are single now, you're called to be single. And then just trust the Lord later to do the best thing for you. 
You know, Mickey, I've only met a couple of other people, men in my lifetime, who felt that they were called to be single, and both of them were deeply enmeshed in in um, in pornography, uh, like that was somehow um, holier, uh, and we know it wasn't. We know that that's a horrible sin, and we'll get a hold of of the human heart and mind. Um, but um, you got to be with Jesus. You got to be with Jesus, and understand the way the enemy works. He's going to do everything he can to make you stumble. And then when you do, he's going to try to condemn you to the point where you lose all hope of being able to follow the Lord at all. So, Mickey, that's the best I can do with that. That's a question I haven't had before. But remember, pray for the gift of celibacy while you are single, and God will do it. I promise you he will do it. Clay wants to know, is it possible that some of the people who died in Noah's flood did not go to hell? No, Clay, that's not possible. Um, they, they all are, are spending eternity. They're not in hell yet or in the lake of fire yet, but they are in the place of torment in Luke chapter 16. And we know that because that is the abode of the spiritually dead. That's why the, 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 the rich man in Jesus' story, not a parable, Jesus' story, uh, he said, uh, Father Abraham, send Lazarus over to dip my uh, his, his finger in water and, and cool my tongue because I'm in torment in this eternal fire. Um, and, and of course, that couldn't be done. But um, um, once the choice is made about where you're going to spend eternity, it's too late to do anything once you die. Now, relative to Noah's flood, we know that the reason for Noah's flood was that and pay attention to the adjectives here. Every inclination of man's heart was only evil all the time. And we're told that an entire generation of people was was lost. Only eight people, Noah's family, only eight in all were, were saved, survived the flood. And they got a chance to start over completely. But all of the people who died as a result of the flood... They had an opportunity to repent. They chose not to. They had an awareness of God. They chose to ignore that awareness. So um, they they all went to hell or went, went into torment. They will be thrown into the lake of fire. And they all know this, by the way, because when Jesus descended into the lower parts of the earth, um, he descended with a victory proclamation. Uh, he went down and preached to the saints in prison uh, who who died during the time of Noah's flood. Now, why would he do that? Well, he's just declaring victory. They had an opportunity. Noah, you want to see how patient God is? Noah preached to them for 120 years as he built the ark. I love that he was a multitasker. He could, could, could hammer and saw with one hand, but a Bible, figuratively speaking, in the other hand, and declaring to them the message of judgment that got his attention. So that's what we need to understand. Everybody's without excuse forever, then and now, and all they had to do was listen to Noah. He knew what he was talking about. He was very clear in proclaiming the gospel. The New Testament calls him a preacher of righteousness. And because he was, everyone who heard is accountable. So I hope that makes sense to you, uh, Clay. But but um, I know a lot of people like to think that, well, somehow they're going to get a second chance. There are no second chances. It's appointed on a man to die once and then face the judgment, period. And we should know that. We should know that. Clay, thank you for the question. We uh, we're just a little over two minutes, I think, for this half of the program. Um, you know, there is a surprising, rather than go to another question, I'll just close this half hour out with this. Um, it is painfully um, obvious that more and more young people, especially, are coming up with a theology that allows everybody to get to heaven. Universalism. Uh, or annihilationism, well, maybe they die, but, but they just die, and they don't, they're not in torment. <clears throat> but, but that's not what Jesus said. So uh, we, we need to be preachers of righteousness like Noah was. And the people that we're worried about in this day and age, 
Uh, Jesus said it was going to be like it was in the days of Noah, at the very end days, and we're already in that place. We're not quite as extreme as it was in the days of Noah, but make no mistake, we're getting there, and we're getting there quickly. We're getting to the place where every inclination of man's heart was only evil all the time, and we're going there at world record speed. So, Clay, don't be embarrassed of the doctrine of eternal damnation. That's just God honoring the choice that we make in life. He honors that choice in death. How cruel would it be for God to send somebody to hell, I mean, sorry, sorry, I'm sorry, to send somebody to heaven who never wanted anything to do with God. And I've had people tell me, I don't want to go to heaven. If your God is this, if your God is that, I don't want any part of it. It would be cruel and unkind for somebody to be forced by God against their will to go to heaven forever. Well, we have 30 minutes left in the program. We would love your live calls and questions. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand up for life. We'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the program we have 30 minutes for your questions and phone calls 340-9585 is our main number if you're outside the local san antonio area it's 877-630-KSLR. Let's go to our friend Ruben on line one. Ruben, thanks for calling. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor Ron. Um, I am calling. It's very difficult for me because I feel as if I am taking advantage of you and your church. Um, but you are the only church that I have. You're the only thing that I listen to. I don't go to church anymore, physically anymore. Um, right now, I just have a need, a huge need, um, and I need prayer. So I don't know who else to call. I don't know who else to talk to. Uh, and I apologize because I know this is a question show, not a prayer show, but I just I need no, some help. No, apolo- uh, yeah, no, no apologies necessary, Ruben. We'll pray for you anytime. I appreciate that, sir. Well, first, my dad, he's in a nursing home, and I just got a phone call, and they told me that he is not fit to come home. Mm-hmm. And um, so they need to leave him there long term. And that's a good thing and a bad thing. The bad thing is, is that he's the one that pays the rent. I can't pay the rent on my own. and And then... I don't know where I'm going to go because I know I'm going to be kicked out because I'm already behind on my rent. And then the second thing is, is my truck broke down and um, I don't have a car and I need one, especially if I get kicked out. I need one to get around. Um, and I just asked the church, the, 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 the callers, I mean, the listeners to please, Lift me up in prayer that God will will make a way. Well, right now I can't see a way where to stay, where to go, and, you know, a, tra- a transportation. You know, I'm looking for a car, you know, any old car that will just get me from A to B. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, I do, Ruben. Ruben, I'll be I'll be happy to pray for it. I'll be happy, happy to pray for you. But before I pray, let me just say this, and then... Um, um, I don't mean to be flippant with this. I'm not trying to give you spiritual platitudes. Uh, we Christians are too often guilty. But but right now, at this moment, because you have no place else to turn and no one else to turn to, you're in the very best place you could possibly be. Because only Jesus can help you with this. 
He's the one to turn to. And this would be an opportunity for you to discover that he's got you. He's watching you. He's saving our tears in heaven. And I know it's hard. But what the enemy wants to do is to get you in a place where you're trying to figure out on your own how to do all this. What we're going to do is we're just going to leave this in God's hands and let him take care of you. And um, Ruben, you're going to have to trust me on this. And I've never lied to you ever. But this is the best place you could possibly be at this moment. doesn't feel like it. It's certainly not comfortable. But when you have no one to turn to but Jesus, I promise you, he'll show off for you. So let me pray for you, and I'm going to encourage all of the people in the listening audience to keep Reuben in your prayers as well. Father, as I lift our friend to you, you can hear um, a man who loves you, and he believes Um, Lord, this is a time when we need to steel ourselves against the attack of the enemy. Increase his faith. Jesus, help him to turn just to you because you've got him. Lord, you said that you would provide all the other things that we need in our lives as long as we first seek the kingdom of God and his or your righteousness. So, Lord, that's Reuben's goal, to seek you. And we're asking you, Jesus, to show off for him. We pray for his Father. By the power of your Spirit, Lord, you know what's best for him. We always ask for miraculous healing. We we seldom get those miraculous healings at the same time, Jesus, because there's no one else to turn to. We lift you, Reuben, into his presence. Lord, help him to trust you above all else and show yourself powerful on his behalf. Reuben, thank you very, very much. Um, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll be in touch. Please, please keep us posted. And I'm assuming, Reuben, by a car, you just need something that's dependable that you can get around in. So we can be praying for that specifically as well as uh, getting caught up on your rent and those kind of things. Reuben, thank you very, very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. You know, sometimes it's tough for people. I mean, there's just some things that we go through, and all of these trials and all of these tests give us an opportunity to, to hang in there with Jesus or take matters into our own hands. Reuben has learned over the years not to take matters into his own hands. God is with you, Reuben. Here is a question from Steve. He says, the Bible says if we seek God with all our hearts, we'll find him. But what about people from other religions that are seeking God diligently? Why do they remain lost? Because, Steve, they haven't found God. You know, we're so quick to say, yes, we all serve the same God, Allah, Jesus, the Father, uh, Buddha. But, 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 But see, when you say you believe in a God, it's incumbent upon each and every one of us individually now. It's incumbent upon us to find out if the God that we found really is God. You know, just because we were raised in another religion, I stand here at this program today, I I was raised without a religion. My grandma dragged me to church a couple of times, but but, but my family had nothing to do with God. Um, When I started seeking God through desperation, He revealed himself to me. The Ethiopian eunuch, Steve. He was seeking God. He thought he found it in Judaism. But because Jesus had been here on earth, because he'd been crucified and risen from the dead, God sent Philip to him to show him, tell him who God really was. And what we've got to do is understand that the Bible when it says something like this, it's true. And as Christians, our decision is, do we believe that? Let me get this, be real practical about this, Steve. If somebody is a Muslim and they say, Allah is God and, and Muhammad is the prophet, then their responsibility is to be sure about that. And the evidence is overwhelming that Allah is not God and Muhammad is was not a true prophet of God. And then we can introduce him to Jesus who proved that he was who he said he was. 
And God, when somebody's really seeking to find God, he said he'll reveal himself to them. And I, I trust that. I've seen it practically. But I trusted it before I ever saw it because that's what the Bible says. And so when somebody's raised in a Muslim home, at some point they've got to say, well, is he really God? Is Allah really God? A Mormon, a Jehovah's Witness, is the one they say is God. Is he really God? And when you find the evidence that makes it clear that their God is not God at all, he's nothing more than, or they are nothing more than a little G God who is worshipped falsely, uh, it's, it's, it's our responsibility. See, we're all accountable. The heavens declare the glory of God. Day after day they pour forth speech. There's no nation or language where they're not understood. The psalmist writes that. It means everybody's without excuse. Our conscience, Romans 1 says, is a gift from God to drive us to him. And everybody has a conscience the worldwide. So all we got to do is direct them to the real God and with the overwhelming evidence that Jesus Christ is God, it's easy to tell somebody who believes in some other religion, whether because they were raised or just the choice they made, it's easy to say to them, you better be sure because the consequences are eternal. Let me tell you how I'm sure. I'm sure because there's an empty tomb. And that empty tomb proves that what I'm telling you about God and who he is, is true. And what we've got to do is let them know. But they've got to make the choice. So they remain lost because Jesus is the only answer for sin. The only answer. Sin is what separates us from God. Jesus is the only one who died to forgive us of sins. And... um, If we've got the Jesus of the Bible, that's the way we're saved. Good question. Thank you, Steve. Mike asked me a question. This one I haven't had for a while. Pastor Ron, do you think the apostles were being presumptuous in naming Matthias to replace Judas? No, Mike, I really don't. Now, I'm I'm, I'm fully aware there are a lot of people who who say that, well, uh, God picked Paul, Saul of Tarsus, to be the, 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 the apostle who replaced Judas. And they should have just taken their time. But but that just doesn't work. There's a couple reasons. First, Paul didn't come along until the church, after the church was, was several years old. Remember when Paul got saved, when Saul of Tarsus got saved, he was immediately sent into the wilderness for three years. That position uh, that, that the, the apostles appointed Matthias to needed to be filled. You see, the, the the apostles, the twelve of them, they had a job to do to to declare the the gospel in in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the world, and that's what they were doing. So that work started long before um, Saul of Tarsus ever became the apostle Paul. The other thing is, I want you to think about it this way, Mike. This was before. The Holy Spirit fell. This was before the day of Pentecost. And they were Bible-believing, we would call them Bible-believing Jews, who now were saved. They hadn't been empowered by the Spirit. And they used the Word of God and prayer and casting the lot was a very Jewish way of seeking the will of God. In other words... They did what they could with what they knew. Now, after the Holy Spirit had fallen on them on the day of Pentecost, I'm sure they would have taken a completely different approach. But I really do believe the proverb says that every lot cast is cast by God. Um, I think God was directing them, and they they named the right guy. Uh, the fact that we don't know a lot about Matthias... Um, I think leads a lot of people to say, well, see, they chose the wrong person, but, but that's an argument from silence that doesn't uh, bear scrutiny. So, no, I don't think they were presumptuous at all. I think they did what they were doing, and I believe it was the Holy Spirit, before he fell, directing them uh, to do this, and I don't think uh, Matthias will have any problem. You know, Mike, I've had people say, well, well, the Apostle Paul is, is not going to be on one of the 12 thrones, the lesser thrones in the book of Revelation. Um, uh, I don't think we have to worry about that. You remember when John 
and James and their mother concocted this this plan to get James and John to be seated on Jesus' right hand and on his left hand when he came into his kingdom. Uh, made everybody else mad when they found that that's what he was doing. But um, what 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 they did was uh, they came to, and, and Jesus, you remember, said to them, those seats are not mine to give. In other words, they've already been given by my Father in heaven. Now, here's what I believe, Mike. I believe those seats, you know, there's 24 lesser thrones in the book of Revelation. Twelve of them are going to be inhabited by the patriarchs of the Old Testament and 12 by the apostles. I personally think that the seats on his right and on his left are reserved for David, who is Israel's prince from Ezekiel, the later chapters of the prophecy of Ezekiel, and the apostle Paul. So I think those seats are taken, and uh, I don't think they did the wrong thing at all. I think they did exactly the right thing, uh, and God honored their intent. I say a lot of the times, you don't have to be right. If your heart is right, their heart was right when they did this. So, no, I don't think it was presumption, presumption at all. Here's a question from Xavier. He said, I listened to your study on Legion last Sunday. Now, this would be a couple of Sundays ago now. Um, Tuesday. Two Sundays ago now. Um, uh, thank you for being patient me getting to the question, Xavier. He said, I disagree that we don't have authority over demons. If I command them to come out in Jesus' name, they have to. Well, Xavier, I would just ask you, how's that working out for you? Uh, I, I, you have no authority. Our authority is a borrowed authority. Remember, even when Jesus sent his disciples out two by two, um, to, to cast out demons and heal the sick, Jesus said, I give you power, exuiza, the right, the privilege, the authority to do this. So they didn't have authority. They demonstrated that, by the way, when um, Jesus and, and uh, Peter, James, and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration. They came down the mountain and they found them arguing. Uh, demons, or the, um, the, the disciples were arguing with um, the, the Jewish religious leaders about why they couldn't cast out a demon. So we only have borrowed authority. And we don't, this this yelling nonsense, I bind you in the name of Jesus, that's just dialogue that has no meaning at all, and the devil just laughs at us. So uh, I'm glad you listened to the study, but, um, you know, we're, we're awfully cavalier in our approach to demons, and we just shouldn't be at all. Um, in, in Acts chapter 19, um, they, there's a very important lesson that was learned, um, the, the seven sons of Siva. Uh, they were uh, casting out demons. They, they could, thought they could make some money, and they're casting out demons in the name of the Jesus the Apostle Paul preaches. And the demons shout at him, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but I don't know you. Who are you? And then the spirit that was in the man jumped out and beat him to the place where they're naked and ran away bleeding. Um, if you're not walking with the Lord, uh, and by that I mean if you're not right with God, if you're not living a holy life, uh, believe me, Savior, you don't want anything at all to do with demons. It is really dangerous when we hear these false teachers talking about their casual encounters with demons. There's no casual encounter with a demon. To, to encounter any demon is horrible beyond my ability to describe it. Horrible. And um, it's not something anybody should, should run into. Uh, if we do it, we do it because we have to. But it's in one of those moments where we do it trembling we do it because the Lord is there with us. But to give orders to demons is nonsense. It's just silliness. Savior, you're okay to disagree. I'm sure you're still saved. Anonymous. My wife says, or he says, my wife is an unbeliever. She doesn't want me going to church and it's causing a strain. Should I stop going to make things better? Anonymous, absolutely 100% no. You shouldn't stop going. 
Right now, you're being tested. Your unbelieving wife is testing you. She's trying to find out how miserable she can make you. She's trying to find out how important your faith is to you. And the minute you start caving in just to keep the peace, she's going to find out that it's not really important at all. Now, I'm going to reverse the roles here because this is what I did to Paula for a long, long time. As most of you know, if you've been listening any length of time, Paula was saved 13 years before me. I refused to allow her to have a Bible in the house. She didn't listen to me. I refused to ever take my kids to church or read the Bible to them. She didn't listen to me. I did my best to make her life miserable. I tried to be, I am, I was a control freak and I tried my, my best to be in control, to be in charge. That's what men do. Uh, and you know what? She kept going to church and she kept reading the Bible and she kept praying for me. So here's the thing. Don't let any human being on this planet make you compromise your walk with Jesus. Here's what I would suggest you do. I know you're not a believer. I know you don't like it when I go and I leave you here alone. So I want you to know I don't like it when you don't go with me. So would you please go with me? And every time I'm going, you can change your mind to the last moment and say, okay, I want to come this time. You can do that. And then when you come home from church, talk to her. This is what we learn in church today. And if she didn't want to talk, then just let your heart be filled with joy anyway. And let her see that she's not getting to you. And that's how she's going to learn that your Jesus is real. And that he's powerful. And Anonymous, I am an expert in this because I did everything to break up Jesus and Paula. I did everything I could. And finally, on the day I got saved, 31 years ago, on that day I got saved, when I fell on my face on a public street in Upland, California, I cried out for Paul as Jesus. That's the only thing I knew. Because I knew that the, the Jesus that she worshipped was real and that he loved her and that he was way more powerful than I was. So her witness literally saved my life. I hated her for it. And that's not an exaggeration. I hated her for it. But she demonstrated that he was real. And that's what your wife needs to see. Be filled with joy in your home. Um, you know, don't argue. Don't don't let her push your buttons. Remember that there's the Holy Spirit lives in you. That will give you the power to be a light in the middle of the darkness in your home. So, Anonymous, we'll be praying for you. Here, probably the last question. Um, for today. Um, Victoria says, I know God is in control in my mind, but it bothers me that Satan is allowed to cause so much evil. Can you help me? Yeah. um, Victoria, all you can do is worry about Christ in you. Don't look out so much at all of the evil in this world. There's never been a time in this world where there wasn't evil. I mean, right after the flood, when there was only eight people left, how long did it take for sin to take over again? It didn't take very long. By the time we get to Genesis chapter 11, there's a whole world in rebellion against God. So don't worry about that. Evil is the world that we live in. So here's what you do. You simply... Be grateful to God because he's overcome the evil in your life. Satan doesn't cause as much evil as we think he does. He just panders to our flesh. We're the cause of the trouble. We are sinners at heart. We're sinners by nature. And you have the answer for sinners. So when you see evil around, you've got the message that liberates people. You've got the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to share. I promise you, Victoria, if you'll be more active in sharing your faith, then you'll be so much less focused on the evil all around you because you'll be busy sharing the answer to that evil. You see, we can't look at a world. Uh, you know, we, we live in a world where, where we get 24-hour-a-day news and, and, and media and just our, our brains are being pummeled. 
And, and our hearts are not able to take it. We're simply not able to deal with this overload of information that we have. So, Victoria, every time you get to be bothered, take a walk with Jesus, open your Bible, focus on Him. That's what Paul says to the Colossians in chapter 3, beginning of the chapter. Set your heart, the place of affection, set your mind, the place of decision, on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And I tell my church all the time, Victoria, that, that instead of looking out, God, it's like he's got his hand under our chin. And we're bummed out because we see all of this stuff all around us. And he's raising our chin. And he's saying, no, 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 look up. But I can still see, Lord, look higher. Just look higher. And his hand is keep pushing our chin up. So all we can see at some point is him. And he'll take us above all of the pain in this world. That's still going to bother you. That's because you've got his heart. It bothers him. But that's when we change our focus. And as we change our focus, we'll see him. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher or perfecter of our faith. And Victoria, that's the only answer when you're really bothered by all the things going on in the world. Do we hate sin? Yeah, we hate sin. But a day's coming when Jesus will put an end to that. Until then, look up. He's waiting. Hey, we've... Good week tomorrow. We'll be... Uh, Paula will be live in studio. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And Lord willing, Paul and I will be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.